Hello and welcome to the Indian American Experience podcast. I'm your host, Bindia Parikh. Indian Americans are a group that defies being painted in one stroke, be it in political or ideological leanings, definition of identity, or perception of their place in society. So join me in listening to the journeys and experiences of a diverse group of Indian Americans or Desis through lighthearted, casual conversations and see if we can find common threads, maybe shed some myths and hear some interesting stories. Let's get started. Welcome listeners. My guest today is Seema Ayer. Seema is an HR advisor for startups and has served as a chief people officer and held other senior HR positions in the technology sector. She's also been engaged with nonprofits, some of which are Pratham, Home of Hope, and Bidia. You can find links to these organizations in the episode notes. Seema also has traveled every continent Currently, she spends her time between the U.S. and Europe, while her two children have flown the roost uh, to take on jobs elsewhere. Hi, Seema, and welcome. Hey, Vindya. Such a pleasure to be here with you today. Same. You and I grew up in Chandigarh together. We go back a long ways. We both did our undergrad together at GCG. Shout out to our college. Yeah. And then... I was there for a while. I ended up doing a master's and an MPhil in geography. And by the way, I don't know whether you found out that there is no subject called geography per se in the US. At least our kids didn't end up doing it, right? It was... Yeah, it's it's funny. I taught cultural geography through a community college, but it nested under the Department of Social Sciences, which was more history. So yeah, I know I was very surprised to find that out too. Yes, yeah. So, So I did my master's in geography. I taught for a year in the a DAV college for boys. Remember, there was this boys college and they had just about introduced women as teachers. So I was amongst the first six, seven women they hired in Chandigarh, teaching these 7,000 strong in a boys college. Wow, that's good to see you. How was that? It was was a fun experience. I think we were very respectful, actually. I have to say that. (laughs) And then I got married and then both of us decided we needed to study further and we moved to the U.S., to California, actually. I see where you did your master's in demography from UC Berkeley. Yes, I had to switch fields. Yes, Mm. yes. Well, before I get to that, I want to ask a super intrusive question as I'm going to throughout the interview, (laughs) given that the premise of this interview is to delve into, you know, the cultural aspects of everything. So you married a Tamilian while being a North Indian. How was that? Well, you know, we were in love. We are still in love. So, you know, we sort of transcended all borders. But, oh, my God, yes. It's only when you get married, that's when you realize, right? Small things like, oh, He's a rice eater. I'm a wheat eater. (laughs) You know, I mean, yes, we were Hindus or I am half Sikh, half Hindu, whatever. But I, for some reason, didn't even know that all these temples in the north, like the Sri Ram temples were not even temples in the south. These are just things that I sort of learned much later on that, hey, we may be the same religion, but, you know, we didn't even pray to the same thing. So, so many differences, right? But, hey, you know what? These are small things and you just, when you're in love, you just manage through it. 
awesome. We're talking about the late 80s, right? Times were different then. It was, it was, you know, an interesting conversation on both sides. (laughs) But no major pushback. Not not major pushback. I think um, uh, my husband's parents just asked him, are you sure you'll be able to afford a Punjabi wife? (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, so other than that I think it sort of went as smoothly as could be my you know my family was fairly receptive and actually it was my grandmother mm. who was the strongest proponent and she actually told all her sons and daughters hey you're all educated right so we just accept it and move on so everyone just oh. said okay I, if daddy is okay then everything yeah. is fine Oh, that's that's very interesting. My cultural knowledge is so basic, but we we grew up with parents who had moved from, you know, after partition from Pakistan. So I think you also sort of realize that we all grew up at a time when religion was there, but it wasn't so central to us. And especially for my family, because it was sort of split, we went as many times to the Gurdwara because it was closer or to the temple. So I think, yeah, I think we were spiritual, but less religious is what I would say. Was language an issue between you and your husband? I'm sure you both spoke English, but did he speak any Hindi or Punjabi? Well, I have come to the conclusion that some people are really good at languages and he's one of them. So he could speak Hindi, Punjabi, Tamil, Malayalam, Gujarati, you know, name it. And now he's like into Spanish or whatever. He could speak. And then there are some people who never learn a second language, which is people like me. So even my Punjabi is so bad. (laughs) So I think I ended up just doing some sort of Hindi and English mix all the time. Mm-hmm. My my Tamil is as bad as my Punjabi, so I I don't know I couldn't just handle it. So yeah. growing up in Chandigarh, it was Hindi and English at home. Yeah, sure. I think I should blame our parents, right? Because they would speak Punjabi amongst themselves, but Hindi with us for whatever reason. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Fun. Same for me. Maybe it's got something to do with Chandigarh. But did you teach your kids any Hindi, Punjabi, or Tamil? So I think they will look at us and say we never tried hard enough, mm-hmm. which probably is true. But again, it's uh, my daughter is like my husband and she can speak multiple languages with ease and she gets into it. While my son, well, he's like me, I guess, you know, it's it's really only English. In fact, I even remember like he grew up with grandparents being around the house and we Mm -hmm. used to watch a lot of Hindi movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, Dil Chata Hai was his favorite movie for years. <laughs> and I don't know how many times he watched it. So and good. I remember going to India and someone asking him, who's your favorite actor? And he's mm. like, Amir Khan or Rithik Roshan or something like that. <laughs> and people were like, what? Because, you know, they were talking about Brad Pitt and all that. And this guy's like totally into Hindi. Oh, movies. too funny. Yeah. And But he can't speak a word of Hindi. Hmm. So yeah. I, I don't know, it must be something in my upbringing. I just couldn't, <laughs> I just couldn't teach them. <laughs> you know, I remember taking the deliberate decision to just get my kids speaking English because I just figured I don't want them to miss the nuances in the shows they watch. I wanted them to get everything that Barney had to say. Or <laughs> uh, I, I truly believe that if I started them off on pure English, they would just get better at it and you know, learn the nuances of English. 
But later on in life, I just felt a strong urge that they should know a little Hindi and much later in their lives. And my husband and I took the decision to start speaking to each other in Hindi and Punjabi. And lo and behold, they picked it up. They don't speak it, but they started to understand it. And now, mm. you know, when we go to India, they have a functional knowledge of what's being said around them. They don't yeah. speak. Yeah. And I think that's that's pretty amazing. We humans have this gift of language, some of us more than others, but I was very pleasantly surprised at how quickly they picked it up later in life. That, that yeah, is... I still have hope then. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it should start now. <laughs> yeah, I guess they pick it up when you're not trying to teach it to them. True, true. That parenting, it never ends. And then speaking of, you know, teaching your kids language, what else? Did you want your kids to learn about what you define as Indian cultural elements? You know, I came to this conclusion that these, what we call values and stuff like that, are not Mm -hmm. Indian values or American values. I think these are values overall. Yeah. So when I look at what I think is important to me, like it's very important to me to have respect for our parents and, you know, make sure we're in touch with them. I go visit them a lot. And, you know, it's a close-knit family, all those family values or just with your teachers as well, right? And I I don't think those are truly only Indian values. I see my friends from whichever part of the world they are having very similar values too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, if anything, I'm hoping that our kids have observed us Mm -hmm. having those close social ties with our friends, with our parents, respect for them and teachers. And I'm hoping that's what they've learned. Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. And I have interviewed a few people before you, and that's what's been a recurring theme, that we all recognize that there are no purely Indian values in today's world, while at the same time, us talking about respect for our elders and generosity and the things you've mentioned. So it remains to be seen whether because it's a recurring theme, are these really Indian values or maybe something that is emphasized very much more. And the other thing that I realized as I was interviewing was that when we say values and culture, there is actually a distinction. And now when I ask about culture, I'm asking about the more tangible things like we talked about language, food, in terms of raising kids. I think for me, there was some worry, for lack of a better word, about whether they'll understand the Indian holidays as much or what did I do at Diwali or Holi or other things that we grew up with and did we do enough? Did you have worries like this or did you do anything to introduce that? In the family. So, so when when we were here, like when you when you are young and you have younger kids, and, and the one thing that I would say is a very Indian culture is every weekend you'd have some sort of a get together, yeah, or at least you know three weekends in a month you'd have some lunch, dinner, or you know just throw a party for something or the other, right? Uh, so. <laughs> it, whether it's a Diwali or it's a Christmas or it's a Jewish holiday or whatever, right? We are celebrating. True. So, you know, I think the kids grew up sort of seeing that. And I find it very fascinating that my daughter 
throws a big mean Diwali party every year with her friends. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so I was like, okay. I mean, I don't think she does any thing like lighting or anything it's just a party it's just a party so I, I think they've sort of observed and they've enjoyed that uh, getting together that's how they grew up with aunties and you know friends who sort of grew up with them though there was a time when I felt that because we were doing so much of that I mean we were meeting with so many people and on one hand they were going to these schools and we were telling them, you are equal to everyone. You are the same as everyone. Just making sure that, you know, there's no inequality, right? And these are smart kids. Right. But at home, we are doing that Mera Bharat Mahan yeah. sort of attitude. And I felt that, oh, I don't want them to have this duality in their personality either. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope they, you know, sort of manage through that in life because... I don't know what you feel. Did you? Yeah, no, that's such a challenge, the duality. It's there. I, I think whatever we tried to achieve, I think they probably perceived it and embraced it. And I think if anything, I think it may have served them well just to see another side of things. It keeps coming up even now as our kids are adults. In general, there's a Western philosophy and an Eastern philosophy and I think for them to have been exposed to both, I think is a big asset to them. Yes, yes. But the duality in personality absolutely remains a challenge that we see as parents. And it's a difficult thing to, as immigrants, raise children. And it's a tricky thing for them as well. But it definitely has its positives. Yes, yes. And I think one of the things, you know, you know it actually reminds me is that they have a lot more acceptance of the differences. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll just give an example. I just was, uh, last year I was in India. I decided to take my kids to Haridwar. Okay. And when I reached there, I realized, oh my God, how are they going to handle this throng of people? And let's say that there's a little lack of cleanliness, if I put it gently. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, how are these kids going to manage and, you know, eating and in the night, the arti, which is beautiful, by the way, but it's, it's a lot to handle. It just yeah. hits you. Yeah. And they were just calm. Oh, yeah. They, they could handle it. They just accept that difference in a very easy way. And oh, which, which, yeah, which I find quite interesting. I think they complain less than I do is what I would say, mm. because they sort of understand that there is a difference. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Right. Yeah. And I mean, poverty hits them when they go there. The poverty hits them. You know, they're not able to accept the differences, but they sort of manage with it, knowing that, OK, it's a different life and this is a different life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's by accident. It's just the accumulation of experience that I think we have consciously done some part of that. We'll take some credit for that, won't we? We try to bring them back to India often. So there is that connection that continues to grow. So all of that comes together to lead to this thing that you put very beautifully and I actually didn't realize earlier. Yeah, we could go on talking about parenting, <laughs> but let's move on to your career path for a bit. You have over 25 years of HR experience in the technology and space industry, 
and you've played a key role in building, transforming, and restructuring organizations for success. So during this long and varied career, tell us what were some valuable lessons you learned? Really switching gears in your head. Now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I think I think that's where it comes to what is the values we grew up with, right? I think we all left India to start, you know, with an education here and to work. And I think many of us of that generation didn't ever think that quitting was an option. And perhaps it wasn't, right? Because we had left everything and come and we didn't have a backing in a way. Mm-hmm. So working hard, you know, what what I would say, suck it up, you know, whatever happened, we sort of did that. And I think, you know, looking back, maybe I could have done things differently, but I think it sort of, you know, putting your mind to it, putting your head to it and just going on really does, you know, hold you in good stead and, you know, you reach where you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Can you recount any other challenges? maybe having nothing to do with your Indian heritage, but just in general, during your long career path, what would it be that you would like to share maybe with your own generation or your younger generation as lessons learned? I think more than being of Indian heritage, I think being a woman in the workforce was a bigger challenge than anything else. And you know, here we are coming from uh, a place where I, I think uh, my mom was working and I think so was yours. So we had mothers who were doing well and were working and, you know, had sort of managed things. And so you sort of um, thought that you also have to have it all and manage it all. Mm. And I think we didn't ask for help when needed because that's the attitude we grew up with thinking, We've got to figure this all out ourselves. We've got to manage it. Hmm. And looking back, I think, you know, I could have asked for help. I mean, you know, whether you ask for help from friends, neighbors, your bosses, Hmm. but you sort of thought you had to just do it all because you owned it all. Very interesting. By the way, you've been interviewed a few times about your impressive career path. And I'm going to put down links to a couple of those interviews, including the wonderful podcast that our friend Enma has. Shout out to Enma's podcast, Atlanta Diaries, that the listeners should tune into to learn more about your very interesting and impressive career journey. So again, moving on, tell me a little bit about the time that you decided to travel to every continent with your family. What prompted that idea? And how was that experience? Yeah, so, you know, my husband and I were, you know, when every time we would do a little bit of travel here and there, and we would just say, oh, wow, this is so gorgeous. But, you know, what's happening to this place? Like, is it really going to even be there? Yeah. And then both of us just decided one day, what if there are these gorgeous places which are in a way disappearing? And will our kids ever get a chance to see it? Ah, huh. interesting. So we decided to look at places which and things which were disappearing and said, let's create a plan to travel around the world to places which may not be there in 50 years. And so this was a disappearing world tour that we took. Just to for the fun of it, we decided it's going to be 80 days, you know, around the world in 80 days. <laughs> okay. And uh, we started the day after the kids started vacation in school and we went exactly for 80 days and we came literally a day before they had to start school. 
Very smart. And we chose places which were disappearing. It could be anything like, uh, you know, we went to Galapagos, you know, to see the first animal life. And we saw that solitary turtle as well there. And Mm. I'm just forgetting the name, but you know, which one I'm talking Mm. about. And then we saw villages in Romania, which are sort of disappearing to Mm. icebergs in Iceland to Vanuatu, which is an island off of Fiji, which is sinking. So we just had like things which were cultural, which were, uh, you know, physical nature things, just things that, you know, we weren't very sure whether they'll be there in 40, 50 years. Fascinating. I wanted to know more about it. And I bet you our listeners would too. Maybe I'll ask you to create a small link to those places. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. 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 But I have to say, when we were traveling, the first two weeks were the hardest when the four of us had to be together. And <laughs> like, uh, it, it's, it's hard yeah. to just, you know, agree to everything as a family. But after two weeks, we sort of got the hang of it. Oh, okay. This is how it's going to be for the next three months. So get with it. Yeah. Oh, there is an art and science to that. I'm sure. Traveling with your family, <laughs> with two children. Well, that's that's huge. That's awesome. So now the kids are on their own. And so you and your husband are experimenting with living in Turkey. What's that like? Yes. So uh, now that, you know, they both settled and we wanted to, we've never really experienced working anywhere else. And we said, hey, let's just get a different cultural experience and work from somewhere else and learn a different language. So we've taken up the challenge. So we're spending time between the two places right now. And Mm -hmm. gosh, I mean, I I know I didn't end up learning a lot of the other Indian languages, but I'm trying very hard. (laughs) Now to utilize my brain cells to learn Turkish as well. Wow. Well, good luck to you in that. Now, I know it's an ongoing experience, but whether traveling to different parts of the world or whenever you're back here in the U.S., how do you feel you're perceived as someone of Indian heritage? Does it factor in in Turkey? I utilize it to my benefit. I think uh, there's so many countries you go to where they love Shah Rukh Khan and Amir Khan. And I'm like, as Indian as can be, <laughs> right? It's sort of so, sort of fun being, you know, touting your heritage. And then there are certain places where you want to tout your American passport. So yeah. actually, I think we have the best of both worlds. We surely do. Now, if you like share with the listeners a fact about Indian culture that the world doesn't know very well. Well, since we started with the Chandigarh, which by the way, we we should talk about, right? I mean, it's uh, Le Cousier, right? He's the one who designed and architected the whole thing. So it's a very famous place we come from. I don't know if people realize that the Romas, the Roma gypsies also came from that same region. Hmm. And a few hundred years ago, that's where they started their journey towards, uh, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan into Europe. I mean, you see them, you know, all over. In fact, I was surprised to see some Roma gypsies in the U.S. as well. Mm. But they actually originated from this whole area around Chandigarh, that Punjab area. No way. I did not know that. That's a very interesting fact. So Seema, when you go back to India, to your hometown, to our hometown, Chandigarh, Does nostalgia come rushing back in? Do you see a lot of change? How do you respond to all that? Actually, the good part is that I've been going back and forth fairly frequently. So I've been seeing the changes and, you know, I'm still, you know, very close to my friends there and the kids, etc. But 
a couple of years ago, I had this, you know, huge desire to capture the sort of the experiences that we had when we were growing up. So in fact, I collected my friends and we said, can we just uh, videotape all our old experiences? And so we went to this Golgappa Wala in Sector 23. We went to the student center and university, you know, the Golish, whatever the, mm-hmm. you remember that, that chicken store I, in Sector yeah. 8 and you know, we did all that, went to the skating rink, went to the rose garden, you know, walked to the lake and yeah. we sort of recorded it all, you know, saying, hey, these were things that we used to do earlier. It was so yeah. much fun just um, walking around town, reliving those days. Yeah. But honestly, I don't think the other people lived there enjoyed it as much <laughs> as I did. <laughs> because for them, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we used to do that. We moved on, life's going mm-hmm. on. And for me, it was, no, 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 I still live in that little you know what is that time yes yes so that is so true and we could talk more about this we left our hometowns you know in the late 80s and for us those memories are in this time warp that place doesn't exist anymore yes it's an adjustment we have to make and uh, that's so interesting that the people who live there they moved on to other things and and try (laughs) try going to those places you know those fancy food places and go ask for a jalebi and they just look at you as if like (laughs) oh my god which village are you coming from i know but trust india that's forever evolving to now actually be bringing that back now my folks are in gurugram and i do see now there are tea places and other things that mimic our recollection of what India used to be. They're bringing back those very traditional Indian snacks and the nostalgia-related food items. So I think someone's listening to us too. Yes, yes, indeed. (laughs) Before I let you go, I want to ask you, in your view, do you think that as a group, there's something that Indian Americans need to do better? Well, I think the Indian Americans are doing so well in the US uh, or Canada or whatever, you know, in the Western part. And uh, you see more and more people being very charitable and there's a lot of philanthropy starting to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I would say to some extent, the philanthropy is still very much related to Indian causes, though there are many for the local causes as well. I think with India being on such a world stage, we we could do it in a much broader way and mm. contribute to the world in a philanthropy world in a much larger scale and on much broader causes. And mm. I'm hoping, you know, that's what's going to start happening very soon too. That's very true. Well, on that note, this was a wonderful, wonderful conversation, Seema. And I hope everyone who listens enjoys this conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vindya. I'll be back next week with another wonderful member of the Indian American community.